Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So, I've interviewed a lot of rock stars in my career, but I think it's fair to say that what we have for you today is something pretty special. I wouldn't say he's the greatest bass player of all time, but he is rumored to be the loudest. Derek Smalls of the legendary Spinal Tap, who you may remember from This Is Spinal Tap, a movie that he's convinced was a, quote, hatchet job, has his very first solo album, Smalls Change, due on April 13th. This is very real. It is coming. And he is also embarking on a solo tour of the U.S. backed by orchestras. So that is going to be really something, and this is really something. I was lucky enough to sit down with Derek Smalls himself the other day. Well, I was in New York and he was in London, but we were both sitting. And here's what happened. Derek, are you with us? I'm, I'm kind enough to be with you. Yes, I am. That is very kind of you indeed. Thank you. Now, I must say, listening to this album, which I enjoyed very much, Thank I, you. I'm also a bit concerned about you. Uh-oh. Why? You sound like you're in a dark place. Are you in a dark place? Are you okay? No, lights are up here. It's good. Uh, you mean spiritually, though. Um, I, I do. No, I'm, I'm making music, which is the brightest place you can be. I mean, I was in a dark place a few years ago when I was, uh, you know, sitting in, in Albania. That was a dark place. But no, now it's great. Um, but, you know, thinking about aging is not necessarily a dark place to be. Uh, everyone you know is either aging or dead. It's just your two choices. So it's not it's not dark when compared to the alternative. There's a sense on the title track of of a diminishment is what you sing about. How, how no, has that been? no, it's a, it's yeah. a there was a, a the first if you're talking about the title track, the first half of it is about diminishment. Like where did they go? The other people and what was the band? Spinal Tap. Two shooting stars. I'm in between. As I say, small change, minor adjustment, uh, no longer a band. They've gone where the dust went. And then, when I realize that, it's the second uh, half of the song, is about uh, a new awakening as a solo artist and a bit of bravado, a bit of the old bravado, as we lurch forward into the, the unknown that is the future with this new rock and roll um Persona, you might say. I did say, but you might say too, and then we both say. Some people might say that you were the third banana in Spinal Tap. Is that a misperception? Did people misunderstand your role? There were no bananas in Spinal Tap. There were two apples and one melon, I'd say. Uh, but I, you know, the 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 the. Uh, the metaphor that I've been linked with in terms of my role in the band was lukewarm water. And uh, I've embraced that. And as, you know, when you get to the point where I am, where you're now the, the singer and the leader of, a, of an, a musical ensemble, which includes, I should say, symphony orchestras. We're playing a symphony tour. Strange, but true. Um, you realize the lights are so much brighter at that center mic than they ever were where I was standing. And so lukewarm water is becoming, dare I say it, hot. Yes, and, and of course lukewarm water is because you were 
between fire and ice. Between fire and ice. Between fire and ice, yes. Which is the the, uh, legendary position of, uh, I guess, the fates. Myth, isn't it? Somewhere. Now, what happened to the band? How did, the breakups are so hard, but what happened here? Well, uh, breakups were easy for us because we did it so often. Uh, we got good at it. Um, they weren't, you know, you hear a lot, a lot of bands have a lot of uh, shouting and, and breakage of crockery, and if there is crockery about, things like that. These were This was a much subtler experience with Tap. You just, we'd, we'd end a, a tour or a, a set of gigs, and... Uh, wait for the next phone call and it doesn't come and you call the telephone company and say you check the line and uh, they check the line and it's it's fine and then you realize oh I get it we've uh, broken up again and uh, that that's the way it would go so it was, it was basically like if you've ever been at a, in a coastal um, promontory and the fog rolls in it's like mm. that. It's very much like that. And you just look around, and there's, you look around you, and there's no, no, not, nothing there. That's how it feels when, when Tap would break up. And it, as I say, it did on many an occasion. It was a, uh, a highly breakable bend. Does it feel final at this point? Um, I would say that this was probably the best breakup we've ever had in terms of its duration, in terms of its uh, intensity, or lack thereof, and in terms of its sense of, if not finality, uh, uh, climaxity, if that's a word. Sure. And uh, w- tell me about your last conversation with uh, David St. Hobbit. Well, I wouldn't say it was a conversation. We communicate by post because I've I've uh, had two bouts of therapy for internet addiction, so I don't use the, uh, the email or the text or anything. And... Uh, I say, hey mate, how are you doing? And I'd get back uh, a letter full of Chinese pictograms, and uh, I see. you know, I have no idea what they meant. Uh, I don't know if David did. I, I, I presume they were from him. They might have been from uh, the dreaded Janine. But uh, anyway, they were, they were attractive. Hung a couple of them up in the kitchen, um, but no idea what he was saying, if anything. He might have just been saying dumplings, for all I know. And uh, Nigel, what's uh, what's the current state of your relationship with him? We're good. We're good. Uh, we, we, you know, we're like two different planets that every once in a while get into gravitational orientation with each other, pull a bit, and then drift away again. Um, he's vastly into this uh, world of... Uh, animal husbandry is just besotted with it. Uh, spent years trying to um, breed miniature horses, and then experienced the mm. the disappointment of realizing that uh, he couldn't find jockeys small enough to ride them. And uh, now he's about uh, with uh, he's he's uh, doing miniature livestock, and uh, charming. Charming little things he's breeding, but the the goats, which was his last project, are now uh, again he he pushes it too far. The goats are too small to milk, so he's he's um, he's avid, but a bit crazed on the subject. But uh, very happy, very happy about it, uh, being surrounded by little animals. 
Now, obviously, there's been a revolving lineup of drummers. Was too much made of that, the fact that every drummer in Spinal Tap passed away in some unexpected manner? You know, It's almost become a metaphor in the culture when, for example, in the Trump administration, when jobs change, they say it's like being the drummer in Spinal Tap. Yes, I've seen that. Is, don't people make too, too big a deal of that, maybe? No, I don't think they make a big enough deal about it. Um, it was a curse, and uh, curses are not to be sneezed at. Or, uh, or even burped at, for that matter. But the interesting thing to me is we had half a dozen or more drummers on the uh, Smalls Change uh, LP, CD, whatever you want to call it. It's both, and yet neither. Um, and all of them are fine. I mean... So wow. F- yeah. So, I, you know, it, it's a curse that attached, I'm guessing, I know not that much about curses, I mean, a little bit uh, attached to the three of us, but uh, not to uh, to me, for me, I guess it's it's almost a reverse curse because uh, a couple of the drummers said they'd never felt better after they did the uh, session. So, yeah, when you when you call a, a Taylor Hawkins who plays on this record, uh, did, did he have any trepidation given the the horrific fate of so many people who played with you on drums? You know, they all wanted a. a a nice insurance policy for the wives and kiddies, just just to be on the safe side. Uh, some waivers were signed, um, some incantations were laid. I'll admit it, but um, you know, you you want to uh, propitiate the supreme evil one before you take on a, another drummer, any guys. Mm. But um, no, as it turned out, they were they were all exceedingly relieved and happy to have been a part of the project. And uh, I must say, I mean. Sh- Chad, the great Chad Smith, uh, said, I'd, uh, you know, if I didn't have this other gig, I'd be drumming with you all the time. Derek makes me feel so good. So there you go. Chad has a very big personality in my time with him. How did do your interactions he's, with him he's, He fills the room. He fills the bloody room. He fills, He's a big, tall geezer to start with, and then he uses every inch of it, and I'm talking about his body. And uh, mm. he's uh, just a force of nature. And yet, uh, would probably not last five minutes in the wild. Now, on the song "Memo to Willie," yes, I know what you're going to say. Uh, quite... I know what you're going to say. But go ahead, say. Mm. It. Go ahead, say it. Is it about no, me? I, I Is it about me? Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> uh, you know, it hadn't occurred to me to ask such an invasive question, but uh, and I mean, of course, for the listeners at home, this is about a, a common affliction of uh, older males, or, or rather, feeling. Uh, fearing the uh, the advent of such an, inf- an affliction. Well, it's, Willie, it's a, it, Willie, a subject you would think would have, yeah. Willie is a Brit British for uh, you're the male member, the male member mm. of the family, and uh, y- you say older, but uh, I've I've been on tour in America and from time to time, and you turn on the telly and you see all these adverts uh, for the, and these men you know, could be thirties, uh, forties, you know. Uh, nice-looking blokes, and they're out with their uh, their girlfriend or their partner or whoever, whatever she is, and uh, it looks like they're, they're they're getting it on. And meantime, on the on the sound, the announcer is blathering away about when you uh, you know you want, when it's that time you want to make sure you're ready. Wink, 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 wink. And so you realize a great deal of of time and energy and and thought and and anxiety is devoted to this subject and uh you know you don't want to take a pill if you don't have to and so this was a heartfelt uh cry of the heart 
to uh, the other end of the uh, of the body to uh, get it up and keep it up. Uh, a plea for continued tumescence, as it were. A stern talking to is what Willie yes. deserves. A stern talking to. You have uh, the great Donald Fagan, yes. among other guests, on the track delivering vocals. Now, Steely Dan is, you know, epitomizes sophistication and intelligence. And some might say, wow, that is the opposite of Spinal Tap. What is he doing there? So what did you find in common with this seemingly incongruous collaborator? Well, it's, it's just a lucky uh, set of uh, almost accidents because of the bridge of the song in question is uh, time is a poor excuse, age is but a number. You can still be of use. When I'm dead, that's when you can slumber. Give me that lumber. So I'd sung the verse, uh, sorry, the bridge. And then my producer said, after, after give me that lumber, sing Willie, don't lose that lumber. And I thought he was mm. kidding, and he was kidding, but I did sing it. And then I turned around and, and tapped out a little message I didn't. I dictated it because I, as again, I can't get near those machines, those infernal machines. Uh, to Donald Fagan, whose whose uh, address I'd gotten um, at a club one night, uh, not from him, and uh, I just said, uh, "Dear Donald, if I may presume, uh, two things: please don't sue me, and would you mind singing on it?" And uh, he did. Uh, so far, he's. Uh, gone along with the first, and uh, certainly he's gone along with the second. So it's it were at least one for two. And the album closes with uh, "When Men Did Rock," mm-hmm. which is uh, I, I would say has an elegiac approach. It's uh, quite epic. It goes on for ten minutes. Magical thing about it is it feels much longer. Do you feel a nostalgia for the age when rock and roll had a bigger place in the uh, culture? I don't think it's nostalgia necessarily because nostalgia means that you uh, wish you were there or you wish it were here. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fine, but I, I just—it's a, a fond look back at a moment that that occurred that may never occur, occur again, um, at least in our lifetimes. When rock and roll was about building, it was almost—it had gone out of the three-chord, three-minute song era into the now we are building pyramids of ourselves a monumental era in rock and uh, a monumental song to document it it seemed to deserve in the same way that in that era they were doing these monumental songs about the middle ages and and uh, king arthur and all that 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 now is our that was our camelot we didn't know it at the time it was our camelot it was our uh, Carousel. It was our um, all the shows that begin with C's. You're speaking of prog rock, of course, and this song has Rick Wakeman on it. Yes, uh, you know, and Joe Satriani, and and Joe Joe Satriani. We're going to get to him. A battle of Uh, the titans in the middle of the song, and Michael League, who we do a a bass duet, a duo, a duet, a duel. uh, All of those at the beginning of the song, just to give you a sense of what you're in for. Rick Wakeman did, uh, you know, a tour with King Arthur on ice, I believe. Did he? And was Rick yes. on ice? So, I don't believe he was on ice. But you know, people give Spinal Tap such a hard time. But here we have King Arthur on ice. Doesn't that emphasize how people kind of single out Spinal Tap for criticism as being somehow ridiculous? Well, that goes back to the Hatchet Job um, 
which is what I call that that, uh, that film about us. Um, just to give you one example, is a, 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 a tour across America, and ninety one, ninety two percent of the time we found our way to the stage straight away. What does right. he What does he put in the film? One of the five or six nights we didn't. So he had an agenda, didn't he? And yes, yes. Uh, his agenda was to make us a, a laughing stock, which I, th- I think, in in fairness, he thought would be good for us. Now, we're I, I, going to talk about Joe Satriani. How does yes. he compare to Nigel Tufnell in uh, as far as musicianship, personality, just overall excellence? I say Joe is less random in his approach. Mm. Um, uh, Nigel is uh, probably in his own way, more spiritual, I'd say. Um, spiritual in, this, in the sense of um, communing with uh, animals, which of course he's doing now on a regular basis. But even then, I think, as he, as he, he, he didn't see, as he was doing his, his uh, solos, I don't think Nigel saw people in the audience. I think he, he saw imaginary animals and was playing to enchant them. I don't think Joe does that. Hmm. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. But on a, on a technical level, do you think that uh, Joe surpasses Nigel Tofnell? You're asking me to rate guitarists uh, on I the am. basis of their um, speed, dexterity, um, fondness for certain notes. I think Nigel... I th- Joe's clearly uh, the better technician. Nigel, I think, is the more imaginative artist i don't think joe's ever done a a solo where he he played the guitar with a violin and nigel has mm. just strummed the chords of the guitar uh, the the uh, strings of the guitar with a violin uh i don't think anyone else has even thought that was a good idea let alone tried it you collaborate with Jane Lynch on a couple songs on this album. She appears on, um, I won't even say the name of one of them. The other one is well, She Puts uh, the Bitch in Obituary. <laughs> uh, now, were you comfortable collaborating you you're with you're on, you're on, you, you Wait, you're on satellite radio and you won't say the name of the song. I'll, you know what? I'll let you say the other one. It's called Gum in the Gash, mate. And the subject matter of that one, how uh, would you describe it? Aging is a matter of things. Uh, t- age takes things from you. And gives things back to you. And so even when you lose uh, some dentition, you're still able to give joy to others. Now let's talk about Big Bottom because uh, a couple things. You play uh, in the live version a double bass. A double neck bass. A double a double necked bass would be the problem. Double neck bass. Yes. yes. Pardon me. Yeah. As best as I can tell, you only use one of the necks. So yeah, well, why? They're, they're identical. Mm-hmm. So you you really don't have to bother with the other one. So what is the exactly? So what is the meaning of that? Why why do you need that double neck bass? Just in case one neck goes bad, you've got the other neck. I see. It's a, it's it's have a, you ever, it's a spare. Have you ever had to employ the spares? Has ever anything gone wrong with one? I've been incredibly fortunate in my career. I haven't made all the money in the world. I haven't been as famous as a lot of other people, but I've never had the neck go bad on me. Do you feel that that bass line is uh, one of your finest musical accomplishments? Are you, are you very attached to that one? I think, it's, one? I think it's iconic. I think it's iconic without being ironic. 
um, it's uh, I've uh, on the uh, symphony tour that we're doing. I've heard that riff now played by symphony orchestra, and it sounds like something bloody Verdi would have written or something. It's amazing. So I, I say that in 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 all due lack of modesty about myself that 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 riff is uh, if 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 this is to be the end of Derek. Uh, that riff should be engraved on uh, the stone that would sit on top of what's left of Derek. That must be quite a feeling to hear this music played by an orchestra. Very validating. It's freaky. It's freaky, mate. It's freaky. It's it's. You don't realize what you've done until you hear eighty people in tuxedos sawing away at it. Now, one of your signature compositions, though controversial, in Spinal Tap was Jazz Odyssey. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how well, that song came contra- together. Contra- controversial is, a, is itself a controversial word to say. Mm. To say it's controversial, to me, inspires controversy. I don't know if that's fair I to see. say. But, you know, I happen to agree with it, but there are those who wouldn't, I think. How did that song come together? Is there any chance you'll be performing it on your upcoming See, tour? There, what when are you, you feelings say, about it now? When you say that, there are people who, and I've read um, so-called critics who've said the song never did come together, and that was its its essence. That it just, Very unfair in some way. It refused to come together in some way. It was two chords, and yet um, there was an utter lack of, of organization and simplicity about it, which was why it was jazz. You know, we, we did... I think what will live as the uh, the classic version of it on the 2011 uh, Back from the Dead record, which is now deservedly a collector's item, and so it, and it, it was a 45 minute take cut into three three minute segments, so three cherries off the top of it for your listening pleasure, as it were. Uh, I've retired it now. It's um, it's been replaced because. To me, as a jazz piece, two two chords was two was one too many. It turns out, mm. it it uh, people got confused playing it. So I've moved along. That was a jazz excursion, as I called it at the time. I've uh, got a new piece, a jazz incursion, called Jazz Iliad, which we may or may not be uh, premiering at the uh, at the shows. We're, we're still working on it, but it's one chord and it's. Uh, when you say uh, come together as a song, uh, nothing comes together as a song more easily than a one-chord song. It's really hard to get lost. Now, a moment that people associate with you was getting stuck in a... Uh, See, there you go again. I know what to call it. A, 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 you a know, pod. A giant it was a pod. pod. It was a pod. It was a pod. Many, uh, many's and, uh, the night I didn't get stuck in it, in that tour. Many's exactly. the night. What was going through your head while you were... Get me the bloody fuck out of here is what was going through my head. Mm. It speaks to your professionalism. I believe that you were continuing to play despite being trapped in a pod. Thank you. Perhaps losing oxygen, yeah. Thank you. Uh, That that speaks to my professionalism and to the force of habit. Both, I would say. Did you allow those pods to be used afterwards or was that it for the pods? It wasn't up to me, mate. It was, um, you know, group decision and... uh, as the uh, non-guitar player in the band, sometimes I felt a bit um, under-considered in terms of uh, group opinion. So it was like, Derek, don't be so sensitive. Never happen again. That's once in a lifetime. Don't worry about it. And it, 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 it 
to be fair, it didn't happen that that often again. You're the rare uh, rock and roll star to smoke a pipe. I, I believe I've seen a couple members of Jethro Tull perhaps do it first, but where did that come from, that habit, and have you continued it? Because I think people will be worried about your health on that front. I stopped putting anything in the pipe in the bowl years ago, uh, and it, it then became just a, a, a lovely affectation on my part. Um, and you get into the habit of having something in your hands or something on, in your mouth. But no, I've, I've stopped because, you know, the kids look at you, and you, you want them to, uh, you want to model the right behavior for the kids. Not that I have any, but uh, the kids that, and, and of course, my audience doesn't have any, or isn't kids anymore. But should a kid wander in uh, to the shows, you know, attracted by the idea of a symphony, uh, I want to, uh, I don't want to lead them down the wrong path. You know, it's important for me as a role model to, uh, show kids that uh, a Satanist uh, can be a good person. Another thing that people know about you, which I I suppose is a touch embarrassing perhaps, is that you had a zucchini wrapped in tinfoil down your pants, which was caught at airport security. Mm. Is it painful for you to know that that was caught on film, or are people missing something about that incident? I think it was, in, in, in fact, an amazing look forward into a future we could never have anticipated where where everyone was going to be embarrassed and humiliated at airport security. You know, everyone is Derek Smalls now, isn't he? Interesting. Yeah. As for why I was doing that, it was it was our biggest tour to date. Um, I was concerned about uh, stage fright or nerves affecting my ability to project the, the proper puissance, if you will. Ordinarily, I wouldn't be concerned about it. But it was just for that tour, I uh, wanted to make sure, uh, especially with film cameras rolling, that I uh, always maintained the proper stance of power. And uh, unfortunately, this uh, fairly intrusive woman uh, put me in a, um, a position of um, less than powerful. I should, let's put it that way. But uh, again, uh, I, I would say to young people listening, don't try to go to airport security with anything wrapped in aluminum foil. It's That was my what? mistake. If I'd, you know, my concern was why it was in foil was if you've ever um, put a zucchini down your trousers or a courgette as we call them uh, without foil wrapping and you sweat and they're tight trousers, you've got a bit of a mess on your hands at the end. It was an adventurous choice of vegetable. You could have gone with cucumber, but you went with zucchini. People think it's a lot of people. Thank you. A lot of people uh, mistake it for a cucumber, but of course, a cucumber is larger usually, uh, which is uh, to me it was a bit over the top. And also, if you look carefully, uh, it's a thin co- uh, foil coating we had on it, and the trousers are, are skin tight, as we say. So uh, a cucumber surface is a bit too warty for the desired effect. You return to a version of the Spinal Tap catalog with uh, Give Me Some More Money, mm-hmm. sort of uh, a take on one of uh, Tap's earlier songs. Well, I think you know what you ought to be give, give, give me some more money. What led you back to that territory? The realization that a band in its infantile stages and in its or, or a musician 
in the infantile stage of a band and a musician in what some would call uh, pre-senility as is uh, equally needy in the uh, funds department and uh, it's become more and more challenging for uh, bands to make money it's more and more necessary for uh, musicians to say hey wait a minute this just doesn't have this doesn't fall off a tree mate you know something's got to happen here somebody's got to fill the coffers or cough the fillers whatever and it, it just is as urgent now as it was then let's put it that way it's the circle turning on itself it's the worm eating its own head and david crosby appears in that song what was yes, your he does. time with him like um well, you know, first of all, we we have virtually the same uh, hair color at this point, so we compared uh, products. Um, but also, he's a he's a curmudgeonly git, and uh, you know, you've got to spar with him a bit. And uh, I'm not up for that, so uh, I just sit in the corner and let my producer do the sparring with him. But he's a lovely, lovely person. It was great, great singing on it. And uh, you know, when you get past the uh, the front, the, the curmudgeonly front that put, that he puts up. There's a wonderful, warm, real curmudgeon at the at, his, at the heart of him. Now, I wanted to touch on a couple of Smile Tap classics. We discussed Big Bottom. Mm. The process was a collaborative process yes. of, of writing those songs. Yes, with, with, very much with so. You and Nigel and David. I mean, tell me, just for example, Hellhole. What do you remember about that one coming together? You know, we'd sit in a room and usually uh, come up with concepts. We're a very conceptual band. And so, hellhole, we'd heard that phrase. Hellhole, what does that mean? Where could, you, where could that be? Where could a hellhole, what could a hellhole be? Where would be the hole? Is it a hole in hell? Is it a hole to hell? We'd have these long discussions. There weren't meetings. They were just... Uh, well, we'd be in a room together, but it didn't feel like a meeting. There was no agenda or anything, and nobody was chairman. And then uh, we'd start, somebody would shout out a line. And when I say shout out, I don't mean it at volume. I just mean uh, out of out of the, uh, the silence. And then uh, other lines would flow. And, and it, was, it was the magic of the flow that was really magical. And then David uh, usually would go home and, uh, or wherever he went, and uh, uh, come up with some music that matched the lyrics. But it was the, the, with us, we were a lyrical band. We were a band about, you know, the word. The, uh, uh, tap was words. And the music came uh, as a, a wonderful uh, cacophony of uh, music surrounding the words. The brilliance of Big Bottom is, in addition to the bass line and the music, is is the sort of confluence of the bass-heavy music and the topic of Big Bottoms. How did that come together in your memory? Uh, it, was, it was pretty obvious, mate. Um, a song about Big Bottoms had to have a Big Bottom. Uh, and uh, it was, it was uh, a bit of uh, convincing on my part to uh, Dave and Nige to, to put the guitars down pick up the bass, uh, play the nice fat strings instead of the little thin finger shredders. and um, But that was the concept from, you know, the minute I, big bottom, big bottom, you know, it, 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 it just does that. 
And so, uh, you know, at that time, you never uh, imagine you're going to be standing on the stage at Live Earth, bloody Live Earth, with 19 of the world's great bass players, including Mr. Trujillo uh, of uh, Metallica, um, all playing that riff and it, uh, what how how big how much bigger can a bottom get well we now have a yes. symphony we now have a symphony orchestra playing it in the show and you'll hear how much bigger it can get it, it the bottom you know it, it sounds like a slogan but the bottom just gets bigger um of course there are people who who have, have personal experience of that too so it's not that unusual in the song, uh, Listen to the Flower People, there's a televised performance in which you mouth, I love you. We Ooh, love you. In the end, were you we, speaking we to love, all of us? We love you, I believe. Oh, so pardon me, yes. We love yes. you. Well, I was speaking for the band. Uh, speaking to all, yeah, all mankind. Uh, or, or other creatures which might uh, have television. Uh, you know, uh, I, at the time, you know, it was a, such a an oceanic uh, consciousness at the time. You didn't limit it to humans. Uh, elephants are spiritual beings. I don't know if they watch telly, but sure. uh, a lot of spiritual beings have better things to do than watch telly. But if they just wanted to lay the spiritual thing aside for three minutes and watch watch some telly, there it was for them. A spiritual message. Now, I think we we understand. We're on the same wavelength, right? Um, we love you. Please love us back. Or sod off. And the world did love you back. I think. I think that did happen. And, and some of them, uh, did. some of them did. Some of them yeah. did. Yeah. Saucy Jack. I think a lot of us were hoping that someday the entire rock musical Saucy Jack would emerge. Uh, instead, we've heard one track. Yes. Do you think you you guys will ever get to that? And what was the original genesis of that idea? Um, David and I were, were sitting around talking about Jack the Ripper. David was fascinated by Jack the Ripper. I was, you know, mildly interested. I thought there were more interesting serial killers about, but uh, David just couldn't get his mind off of Jack. And uh, come on, Joe, let's write. Let's write a song. Let's write a. Uh, let's write a musical. And I said, Well, Nigel's not that interested in musicals, is he? Yeah, he'll come along. He'll come around. And uh, so uh, it was. It was. David's inspiration really is his obsession, his artistic obsession, you might say. And then I think um, we realized if there's such a thing as a subject too big for a musical, it really is Jack the Ripper. I mean, you'd, I don't know what would be uh, the right art form for maybe Ice Show, you know, something bigger than a musical. There's never been an ice show about a serial killer, so maybe that's really where it belongs. It's on ice. It is on ice, of course, in the other sense of the word. But uh, maybe to put it on ice would be the. And I've, if David is listening, uh, and understands anything besides Chinese pictograms at this point in time, that maybe a, a word to the wise: put him on ice. Put Jack. Put Jack on ice. Now, in your journey to this album, there were some low points. You mentioned Albania. What happened there? Well, it was just, uh, you know, after the last breakup of TAP, after Glastonbury and Wembley, I went over to uh, the Netherlands and had a, a great run as a, a judge on this uh, music competition show called Rock Stars with a Z. I was one of the judges and uh, incredible 
woman who was the uh, lead singer of this uh, neo-punk band Hot Garage was uh, the other judge, and we were we were we were big in in uh, especially in the hinterlands of uh, the Netherlands. And then one day they came in and said, "Well, we're changing the format to uh, Tomorrow's Hip Hop Heroes," also with a Z. And we were out uh, on our uh, behinds, and I had a friend in uh, Albania. He was headquartered in Albania for the uh, tax reasons. Uh, Eddie Gre- uh, Dregs. It was in a uh, near-death metal band called uh, Chainsaw Vermin, and I uh, I'd hung out with him for a few few months and it was just you know when the regular bass player just didn't couldn't couldn't bother to come in I'd fill in for him and I just thought is this is this where it all goes to being fill in bass player and chainsaw vermin and then uh, so that was that was low point and then I went over to Latvia and uh, because I'd been working out I got a, a, a part-time gig as a, a male dancer at a, a club in uh, Riga called P.K. Hunkington's and that was it was good money but you had to you know fetch it out of your trousers at the end of the night and, uh, and so what got me out of that low point was hearing about the British Fund for Aging Rockers which had been started I guess with all the money that they had left over from austerity and they were looking for aging rockers to help and I said here's one right here and uh, submitted a CV, and uh, before before you could say Bob's your uncle, I had uh, the funds to pursue this project, which is you know a high point indeed compared to dancing for tips at PK Huntington's in Latvia. One of the more admirable aspects of this album is the way that you address subjects that are truly the reality of living as an aging rocker. You probably won't hear on the next Rolling Stones album them singing about. MRIs mm-hmm. and uh, erectile dysfunction. Yes, and your song about Satan getting a, a toupee, hell to pay. These are all. It seems like you wanted to do something a, a bit more real than some of your uh, contemporaries. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, um, I think people, I think, have concluded that rock and roll is not the place for deep thoughts, and I'm trying to prove them wrong. Um, and and you've named three of the thoughts, and uh, and it, it can it can go deep, uh, and yet be uh, seemingly incredibly uh, not deep, non deep. Um, but yes, I, I I think write about what what's real. Write about what you know. Uh, I know a bit about uh, the supreme evil one, and I just you know because I'd written Christmas with the devil which was a, a speculation about what the, the merriest time of the year is uh, for, for Christians, what it's like for the supreme evil one. He's not having the greatest time at that moment, at that time of year. And so uh, I find it easy to, for, for whatever reason, whatever mystical reason, being able to put myself in his shoes, his hot little shoes, and imagine, well, he's getting on, as we all are. Um, might he be worrying about something receding up top and if so what would he do about it what should he do about it you know with given all the options these days with the uh, the drugs and the surgical procedures which i think is a joke so that that was the the roots of that song and um what was the other one you mentioned 
I think we 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 went through the other ones. All right. But yeah. Right, so right. Yeah, you know, yes, but MRI, right, but MRI, MRI right? Yeah. MRI. Yeah. So those, the, you know, it's in everybody's future. It's like, you know, uh, the same way that uh, when you're a kid, the machine that looks at your feet and says what size you are was in your future every month or so. This is in your future now. It's it's just a matter of time before you're going to be shoved in that tube, hopefully more than once. And so um, people are scared of it, especially claustrophobes, are, are terrorized by it. And um, so I take you on a journey through that tube, starting with the fear and ending with the realization which you know, comes as, to me is the good news for all fans, especially of, of loud and heavy music, which is you can relax that bang in your head for you. I wanted to ask you before we go about, about Brexit as uh, one of our greatest British rock stars. What, what do you make of that situation? Uh, it's my favorite meal of the day. And uh, what do you make of, as an outside observer, what do you make of the Trump administration in America? I, th- I think uh, he probably wishes he could grow it longer and um i'm speaking of his hair and um you know i feel that pull in him that urge that seems to be driving him and it's a sad one it makes me sad for him that he has to you know uh comb it in so many different directions to make it cover whatever it's covering i wish you know for him more follicles i guess would be my wish for him and finally Derek Smalls, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, there's so much uh, musing about mortality on this album. So when people look back, what do you want them to say about you? Uh, first of all, I do want to be remembered as Derek Smalls. I mean, how do you want to be remembered I, as by my proper name? Um, but for what do I want to be remembered? I'd say, you know, the bass as an instrument in loud music is the foundation stone. It is what this magnificent structure of rock is built on. And um, I was a but a humble laborer in the vineyards of construction of that monument of rock. And do you have a message for Nigel and David if they're listening? You said the three words that I would send to them, uh, making the sounds as well as the, the motions with my mouth at this point. We love you. I think I speak for everyone. I say that. Maybe even myself. So you've been listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt. That was me and the legendary Derek Smalls. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume Channel 106. In the meantime, download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, and maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.